I already heard a lot about what we're thankful for this morning. I'm preaching on Thanksgiving. I wasn't sure if I was going to have everyone share, but I, I'm always blessed to hear that people are thankful for being able to share the gospel and thankful for what God is doing in our lives. I mean, we ought to be thankful for the homes we live in and the clothes we have and the people in our lives, but uh, to see that you all are thankful for what God is doing and how God is using you to reach others, that's pretty special. Um, yeah, I had a few thoughts on how I might start this sermon on Thanksgiving, and I'm going to take a sort of, it's going to sound like a strange detour, but you'll see how it connects in. Because I was thinking back and reflecting on this, this time in my life when I was sort of a new Christian. I became a Christian in middle school, and not only did I not know a lot about Christianity, but I didn't know a lot at all. <laughs> you know, I was, I was a middle schooler, and I was trying to figure out what life was and, like, ethics and morality, you know, especially in light of my newfound faith. But um, I, I distinctly recall this moment when I was with my friends who weren't walking with God, who weren't on the same path that I was. And I was friends with these young guys, and they were, they were trying to get me to do something that I wasn't entirely comfortable with. I honestly forget what it was now, but I had some moral qualms with this thing that they said, hey, we should go do this thing. And I said, oh, I don't know if God wants me to do that. Um, and they posed this theory to me, like, well, if we go and do this, if God's not happy with you doing this, can't you just ask for forgiveness later? Like, like, you should be able to just do something that might not be okay, but then you can just say, I'm sorry. And that's how Christianity works, right? They had, like, no idea. And I, so <laughs> this is an interesting concept. In fact, Paul speaks to this directly, right? Paul says something like, uh, you know, should we go on sinning so that God's grace may abound in us? No, of course not. Like, that's not how the salvation thing works. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that I see the same exact mistake happening in the Old Testament as well. Now, in the Old Testament, in order to say I'm sorry, they would, like, kill an animal, right? Like, they would take an animal and slaughter it, and that was their sacrifice. And that was sort of, you know, in what we might call their way of saying sorry or, or asking for forgiveness. But the issue was the same for them. They would just do bad things, and offer more and more sacrifices like God was going to be okay with that. Like they were continuing in the path of sin, not really even trying to repent. And they saw that their sacrifice was covering, you know, their sins, and that would be good enough. Like they were tricking God. I had a professor that referred to this almost like God is some sort of vending machine. If you put in your money and hit the right buttons, you're going to get out the candy bar. God, God's not like that. You can't push his buttons and get out grace. You have to walk with him and love him, and so he has certain desires. In light of this, I actually want to start with Malachi. So if you could flip your Bibles open to the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you're over there and you're in Matthew, just go one, a few pages over. Um, Malachi is an interesting book that we don't always hear preached from all the time. It's not, maybe not your favorite book of the Bible. You might not know much about it. It's really only three or four chapters long. It's very small. But it has some really powerful ideas, and the idea that I've been touching on thus far gets, gets addressed right here in the first few verses. So if you're in Malachi chapter 1, let's start with verse 6. And I do want to say that the book of Malachi has this interesting, interesting rhythm where it's not just a story, it's actually more poetic and 
Um, it's this discussion between God and the people that God has beef with, that God is calling these people out. And you'll see what I mean, but there's this dance between God says something, then they respond, and God says something. Well, in verse 6, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant their master. If then I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. So this is God speaking to priests. We actually aren't entirely sure of what the dates are here in the book of Malachi, but he's speaking to some priests who are doing something he's not too happy with. And, but they say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your governor, right? I actually kind of love that line. Um, Basically, these people are, like I said, they're giving sacrifices to God because they think that covers their sins. And these priests in particular have sort of stopped caring about the quality of their sacrifice as well. There are laws in the Old Testament about the kinds of sacrifice you need to give. It needs to be without blemish. But they're giving polluted sacrifices. And God says, offer an animal like that to your governor. He'll probably spit in your face. It's offensive to me. They would even offer this quality of animal let alone you're doing it with the wrong heart, right? So where are we? So let's skip down in verse 9. He says, And now implore the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. The fruit is yours. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that some, uh, someone among you would shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God's like, Somebody just needs to shut the doors so you stop doing this thing. I don't care about all these sacrifices you're giving me. I'm not impressed. I'd rather you just stop. And this is what we're going to look at in Psalm 50 as well. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. I mean, this is incredibly strong language and fascinating as a Christian because we have a sacrifice of Jesus and that was sort of the replacement of animal sacrifice. So I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but be thinking, like, what does this mean for us? God's not impressed with all their animal sacrifices. If that's not really doing the trick for God, then what about us? How do we relate to that? So let me just read a little bit more from uh, in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations. And in every place, incense is offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say, uh, sorry, when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and the food for it may be despised. What a weariness this is. God is fed up. Um, and you sniff at me, saying, the Lord of hosts uh, you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, uh, and, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male, or, uh, a male in his flock and vows to give it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is revered among the nations. Yeah, God is setting up this, this dilemma for them that... They're, they've lost the meaning of the sacrifices altogether. In the number of sacrifices they're giving, regardless of their, their actual ethics and morality that they're, they're living out, they're just giving sacrifices, and that they, they don't even care what kind of sacrifices. Anything will do. They've forgotten what the, 
the institution of sacrifice was really all about. So let's flip over to Psalm 50 with all this in mind. In fact, these two passages mirror each other in such a fascinating way. And they are written at different times by different people. And this is one of the things for me as a Christian, even though I'm, I, I preach and, and I'm pretty in deep with the whole Christian thing, I still wrestle with the same things that you wrestle with. I still wrestle with the same things that the world wrestles with in regards to, like, is the Bible really legit? Like, can we trust it? Is this from God? And when I see something like this, where Psalm 50, written however long ago, matches up with Malachi chapter 1 so perfectly, written at different times by different people, and God is saying the same things through them, I mean, it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to do that if it was just by chance. Similarly, you could say the same things with the four Gospels and how they line up. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking about Jesus, saying so many of the same things, telling about the same kind of person, and it overwhelms us saying, like, that this must have been true. You can't get four people to agree on something like this unless they're conspiring together. So anyways, in Psalm 50, check this out. Actually, we already really read Psalm 50 with that song. And Dave told me that they were going to be singing a song that's based on Psalm 50, but I didn't know that they were going to be singing Psalm 50. And, and having, having done that themselves, that was incredible. So... Psalm 50, God starts by telling you who he is and giving you a clear picture of the kind of God that, that we've been offending with, with our sins. So in Psalm 50, chapter, uh, verse 1, it says, The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Now, you might summon your children for dinner and say, Hey, kids, come on, dinner's ready. That's you summoning your children. God summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. This is the kind of, so God is so much greater, right? Out of Zion, the highest place, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. This is fearful language. And, you know, when you're reading it and you're kind of confused, like, why? God sounds so scary. He's sort of, it, you know, there's devouring fire before him and a mighty tempest, and this is terrible, terrifying, scary stuff. God is kind of a scary, powerful God. He's setting, God is really setting the scene through Asaph, the writer of the psalm. He's saying, like, I, this is me, the God that you're offending. So, he, so in verse 4, he calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Right? That's what we were hearing in Malachi. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every wild animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine. You know, that chunk right there, the verses 9 and 10 or whatever, that's one of the most, like, uh, requoted portions of this psalm, and just very quotable, very popular uh, passage in Scripture that you hear all the time. But what God is actually saying here is that, like, you're giving me sacrifices when I already own all the animals? Like, what do you think this really is? This isn't a transaction. So what is it? 
God continues, he says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the world and all that, it is, all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's, that's sort of the, the central piece of this psalm. Not by accident. The psalmists were very, very careful of how they organized this. But that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving as opposed to all of this that you've been doing, right? And pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I want to keep reading, but let me pause myself a little bit, slow down, because <laughs> the sacrifices they were giving weren't cutting it. He's saying, it's, it's not for your sacrifices that I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. And this is kind of what we do. This is what my friends were trying to get me to do way back when, when it's like, we do something bad. We know it's bad, but oh, I'll apologize later. And that's just going to work somehow. Like, I'm going to sin. I'm going to do this bad thing, but it's okay. I have a bowl ready. I'm going to bring it to the temple later. And God's going to be okay with it. And we should know that that's not the case. But why is it that God wants us instead to give him a sacrifice of thanksgiving? This does get a little bit confusing because in like Leviticus 7, for example, there is this institution of a sacrifice of thanksgiving that actually includes an animal being slaughtered and, and like some cakes and things like grain offerings and stuff. But, but what the psalmist is doing here is a little bit deeper than just that. He's not saying, give me a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a new form of an animal sacrifice. He's actually saying, let your thanksgiving be your sacrifice. So obviously, I, you know, the idea behind the sermon is, is that thanksgiving is coming up, and it really should be a time where we're giving thanks. It shouldn't just be getting together and having a ton of food. It's got to be deeper than that. I, I'm always encouraging us to be deeper people, deeper Christians. And if you can't see yourself being a Christian, at least be a thoughtful human being, you know. But, but we should be thankful. We have a lot to be thankful for. And somehow God delights in that, in this incredible way where it becomes a sacrifice to him. And a sacrifice, why? Because it's sometimes difficult for our egos to admit where we we're not providing for ourselves. I mean, tell this to the world. All the stuff that you've worked for and earned with your hard-earned cash, it's not really you. I mean, your body that you're using to do this work isn't yours. God, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like, we're like the cattle. God owns us. God shaped us in the clay and made us in his image. Praise be to God. That's great. But it's not us. So every little thing, I can't, I can't even begin to explain the depths of what we need to be thankful for, more than just what we have, more than just what we enjoy and the things we get to do. And maybe you like to travel a lot and you're thankful that God has provided for you in such a way where that's possible, but it's so much more, so much more. We need to be thankful that the God of the universe cares about us. I mean, God, you think about the, the idea of God creating a world and he could have just, it could have been a fun little science experiment for him and not interacted with his people at all. He said, okay, I made people, that's great, but I'm just going to go and do another thing, maybe make a whole new universe. But no, God interacts with us. We see immediately in Genesis where God walks with Adam and Eve. He's an intimate God. Like the, I don't want you to just be thankful for what you have. I want you to be thankful to God for who he is. And I think that's part of why Psalm 50 starts the way it does. It's reminding us who God is, the God with this mighty fire before him and the tempest and the 
this fearful, amazing, wonderful God. Be thankful that you serve that God and not some weak God and not some indifferent God who doesn't really care for what you're doing. He does care deeply about everything. I mean, this is another issue with the church today is that we have this idea that God doesn't really care what we wear or, or, or how we talk. I think he does. I think he very much does. And that's for you to wrestle with and exactly how that's going to work itself out in your life. But God is deeply intimate. And so without me giving my own thoughts and rambling too much, let's continue with Psalm 50 because there's so much more here. And we're going to get back to thankfulness right at the end. In verse 16, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. You make friends with a thief when you see one, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil. Oh, I, I kind of just said that, right? You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue uh, frames deceit. You sit and speak against your kin. You slander your own mother's child. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one just like yourself. When, when they were singing this part in the song, that struck me so well. It was phrased slightly differently. Like, like you think I'm like you? You think I'm a person like you who can be tricked by sacrifices or who can be just swayed by gifts? God owns it all. He says, I'm not like you, but now I rebuke you and lay this charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, I will tear you apart and there will be no one to deliver. Those who bring, sacri- uh, those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice, honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. The language here, I honestly am still sort of working this out. My head is spinning with the implications of this. That might sound dramatic, but really, I mean, Christians talk about grace through faith alone, right? I hope you've heard that, and it's absolutely true. The New Testament makes it uh, incredibly clear that we're saved by grace alone. That's it. It's grace, unmerited favor. It's not what you do. But here God is saying that, you know, we, he's, he's giving salvation to those who go the right way, who have thankful hearts. It's not what we do that gives us his salvation, but God is giving salvation to a certain kind of people. Um, and again, it's, it, there's this mystery there, right? Even in the omniscience of God, who is God choosing to save, right? This, these deep, lofty thoughts that we don't like to talk about in church a lot. I mean, the Bible is complicated. Let it be complicated. It's, it's deeper than you are. You know what I mean? I was actually thinking about this in, in light of my iPhone. And like, okay, I, there's a camera here. I know how cameras work, more or less. Um, it's a little bit complicated, but I know how the screen works. But like, when you really put it all together and think about what your phone does and all the crazy things that is capable of, I really don't get it. Like, how does this all come together? And how, it's a tight little package. I think about this, like the universe, like, okay, I, I kind of know what our solar system looks like, according to scientists. I've never seen it for myself. But, you know, I think about how God orchestrates the world and our lives and our bodies, and, and I'm just in awe. So it, I look at salvation in the same way, where it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and I'm glad for that. But God honors and delights in those people who give him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And, and I do want to point out, so in verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's supposed to make you think of those sacrifices, like I said, laid out in Leviticus. But in verse 23, it becomes all the more clear 
It's not a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Listen to what he says. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. It's not this certain kind of sacrifice. It is the essence of what your sacrifice is. You, thanksgiving is, is mandated here in the Bible. It's not just a holiday that we celebrate. And then, we, yeah, we're thankful. Oh, yeah, good. Oh, oh, you're thankful. You have a new car. Good, good. That's good. But <laughs> give God your th- thanksgiving as a sacrifice to him and lay it before him and say, God, I'm nothing without you. You know, this, this is so much there. Um, and, and I was reminded as I was going through this and learning more and studying this, uh, Kelly and I took a trip to Israel. And we don't know Hebrew, uh, but thankfully most of the people there knew English. Um, I, I don't know what that says about our society. That's sort of, I don't know. But, but so many of the people at the hotel spoke English, the, everybody at all the restaurants and whatever. Everybody seemed to speak English. But we wanted to be able to like say thank you to the people like at the restaurants when they gave us food, say thank you. And so they told us this, say, toda. Toda, like when, when they you know, give you food or, or you're leaving, say toda. And that's sort of the, the Hebrew word for thank you. That's what we learned there. And as I was like studying this, I realized that the word thanksgiving in Psalm 50 and through most of the Old Testament is toda. Thank you. Like, just be thankful to God. It's, it's, it's not like this confusing ancient word that we don't understand. It's a word used today in other parts of the world in Hebrew-speaking communities. I would say thank you. So, so that, that struck me. Say thank you to God. It's not this complicated thing and a sacrifice of thanksgiving and you need to study Leviticus to know what that even means. You don't. You know, I encourage you, you, you do study the Bible, but give God your thanks. Say thanks to God. Be thankful people. And that, that was profound. And, and just so in light of that, I said, okay, you know, what's the Greek word for thanks or, or thanksgiving or whatever? And I, and I said, oh, yeah, I know that one. It's Eucharist. Eucharisto. And we, we celebrated Eucharist. We don't usually call it that, the Lord's Supper, right, or communion. But it's called the Eucharist in many Christian traditions because it's good grace to us. That's what it literally means, good grace. So the way Greek people say thanks or thank you, is good grace to you. And that was so powerful. That made me tie this all together. Wait, this is all about Jesus, right? Before I finish my sermon, I need to remind us, every theme in the Bible, every idea, everything that you can point out, this idea of thanksgiving, oh yeah, we need to be thankful to Jesus. Jesus is that sacrifice, right? It all ties back. So Jesus is a sacrifice in place of the animal sacrifices that clearly didn't work, even in the Old Testament. Now, that's something that Christians often miss, and Jews are aware of this, that sacrifices, they aren't the thing that saves you or or covers your sin. But being a thankful person and, and now relating this back to Jesus, thank him for his sacrifice for you. I mean, think about it like this. Who in the world are you more thankful to? I mean, you should be thankful to your parents for raising you. You all have parents. Uh, or thankful to your guardians or whatever. Be thankful to the people in your life that love you and want to take care of you and want to see you do well. But who are you more thankful to besides Jesus who died on the cross for your sins to take away your sins and to give you eternal life? Well, thank him and offer to him a sacrifice of thanksgiving and humble yourself. That's all I have to say this morning. I hope that it blessed you in some way, and I want to close in prayer. Lord God, thank you. We do thank you. 
for all that you've done for us, for all that you are to us. And yet we recognize, even if you never made us, even if you never endeavored to make the human race, you would still be just as glorious and amazing, dwelling in perfect unity, in triunity for eternity past. You are an amazing God just for who you are, and we're so thankful for you. And yet you have created us and blessed us with so many things, and for those we are thankful too. I hope that in a week or two, when we sit down to have a big old feast with our family and friends, we're thankful to you for being our provider of all things, of life and food and all that is good. We give you thanks, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.